So I want to welcome everybody to the master's class at Life Change Church. Life Change Church. And we are in the book of Genesis, chapter 22, and we're going to be uh, in verses 1 through 18. And for those of y'all that don't know, we are walking our way through the entire book of Genesis, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we're up to chapter 22. Today, we are going to be talking about the faith that cannot be tested, cannot be trusted. Can't, the faith that cannot be tested, cannot be trusted. And now, in last week's lesson, and we're talking about Abraham and Isaac uh, over these last two lessons, and the sacrifice of Isaac by Abraham. And in last week's lesson, we looked at this chapter from the perspective that it was a picture of Calvary, a foretaste of Calvary. And we showed how Isaac represented the Lord Jesus Christ and how Abraham offered up Isaac as a wonderful picture of God the Father offering up his beloved son. Now, but the Bible is so rich and so full, and there is so much in this chapter that we did not get to speak on last week. So I want to talk to you today from another aspect of these same verses. I'm going to cover the same verses we covered last week, but I'm going to look at it from a different perspective. I'm going to talk about a different avenue of study here. And I want to talk to you about your faith here this morning. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6.13 to be strong in our faith. And so I want us to think about our faith, and I want us to look at our faith this morning, and I want us to examine our faith. I want us to test our faith, because you see, the faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Let me ask you, how do you know that your faith is real and strong? How do you know that your faith is real and strong? Well, uh, let me ask you, uh, would you fly on an airplane that had never been tested? I mean, would, would you like for it to be built, but never once put to any test? But yeah, would you want to get on it and commit your life to that airplane if, as it had never been tested? Yeah, I don't think so, right? I, I don't know that I'd get on. There's enough problems with the tested airplanes. I don't, uh, I don't think I'd trust an airplane that, that didn't. Now, would you like for a doctor to do surgery on you as a doctor who he went through medical school and never took a test? He just got a diploma on a participation trophy. Would, would you like that? Would you like to have that surgery? Yeah. So there, there was a man that was about to have surgery, and the doctor said, well, you look kind of nervous. And the man said, well, I am nervous. This is my first surgery. And the doctor said, well, I know how you feel. This is my first surgery too. <laughs> now, so do you want to put your faith and your confidence in something that hasn't been tested? And again, I want to tell you the faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Cannot be trusted. So let's start with our verses here this morning in the book of Genesis, chapter 22, Verse 1, and for those of you, if you didn't see it, there's a handout, a study guide, and they've got all the verses listed uh, in there so you don't have to look in your Bible. Uh, but we're in uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 22, verse 1. And it says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. 
and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. Now I want you to notice that word tempt. In the King James Version, the word tempt is used in two different ways. It is used to mean a test, or it is used to mean a solicitation to do wrong or to do evil. Now God tests us, and the devil tempts us. The devil tempts us to cause us to fall. God tests us to cause us to stand. So what God is doing here is not getting Abraham to do evil, but what God is doing now is encouraging Abraham to do good. And so he is giving Abraham a test. And this test is for Abraham in many ways a test for us this morning. They've given us the same test. So I said last week that chapter 22 and this story of Abraham and Isaac are one of the most important chapters in the Bible. It would have to be included in any list of top 10 chapters in the Bible that you could put together at all. It would have to be up there. With the information we gave last week on Calvary and how it foretold Calvary, this is an incredible, incredible story. So let's continue to read in verses 2 through 3. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went unto the place of which God had told him. So I want you to notice that never before in the Bible had God asked for a human sacrifice. Yet God is now telling the man to take his son, the son of promise, the son of hope, the son of prophecy, the only begotten son in that sense, and offer him up as a sacrifice. Again, you see a foretaste or a preview of Calvary in this story. And Abraham obeys God, and he lets God have his way. Now, the liberal theologians, they tell us that this just could not be, that this story somehow is a misinterpretation of the original Hebrew. Now, but listen to me. When God is sovereign, he can do anything he pleases. And so God is telling Abraham what to do. And so the command is given, and then the next morning, Without hesitation, early in the morning, Abraham takes Isaac, his beloved son, the son of prophecy, the son of promise, the son of hope. He cuts wood for a wood sacrifice, and he and the lad head towards Mount Moriah, now which is where Isaac is going to be offered up by Abraham. Now listen, if you have any imagination at all, any empathy at all, of any fatherhood or motherhood in you, if there's a sympathetic chord in your being, then this story will deeply, deeply stir you. There was an old Jewish temple in Cordova, Tennessee, right next to the Mid-America Theological Bible Seminary, and right there in the lobby of that building was a figure. It was a statue or a figurine of Abraham. And Abraham has under his arm a young man named Isaac. And, and the boy is looking up into the face of his father, Abraham. 
And Abraham is looking up into the face of his father, Almighty God. It's a very touching thing to see. As a boy is looking to Abraham, and Abraham is looking to Almighty God. And there's a sermon or a lesson in all of that as we see. And I'm going to give you one of those messages here today, right? So I wonder what Abraham thought as they sat that night around the campfire. I wonder as he looked in the face of Isaac through the flickering flames, I wonder if Abraham thought, what will he think? What is he going to say? How will he feel and what will his last words be? What will his last look be as Abraham goes to offer up Isaac? Now, the key to the whole thing is this, that God is testing Abraham's faith. Abraham is the father of the faithful. Abraham is known as a man of faith, and he is the brightest star in Hebrew heaven. And he's worthy of our study as God is testing his faith. So let me ask you, if you were to measure faith, imagine trying to measure faith, huh? how would you measure it? Well, you could measure it with the dimensions of faith. You could measure it by its depth. You can measure it by its height. You can measure it by its wideness. And then you can measure it by its length. And that's exactly how we're going to measure faith today, right? I'm going to to show you how you can measure the length, width, height, and depth of faith here today. God is going to tell us how Abraham was qualified in his faith to do the task that he asked him to do. So, first of all, Abraham's faith was qualified by the depth of its devotion. The depth of its devotion. Ask yourself, why did God choose to test Abraham's faith at all? Was it just at random? Or did God have a purpose in this test? God has a purpose in everything he does, right? Amen? So it seems to me, that Abraham had begun to love Isaac more than he loved God himself. And you know, there's always that danger. There's always the danger that when God blesses us, that we come to love the gift that God has given us more than the giver himself. And God will never willingly let anything or anybody other than himself be first place in our life. Nobody other than God can be first place in our life. Now listen to me very carefully here. God does not want a place in your life. God does not want prominence in your life. God desires, God deserves, and God demands preeminence in your life. God absolutely, I'm sorry, what? Preeminence means he, it is the most important thing in your life. Okay, God absolutely demands preeminence. God is not satisfied to be a part-time deity with a duplex for a throne. Nobody else gets to sit on that throne but God. Now, it was not wrong for Abraham to love his son. It was right for Abraham to love his son. God had given Abraham this son, and it was well and good for Abraham to love his son. And yet he is to love the father even more than he loves his own son. You know, I I love my wife, Janice, with all of my heart. 
but she knows that she is second in my life. She is not first. Now that doesn't mean that I love her less when I say she's second in my life. That only means I love her more because when I love God in first place, I can love Janice with a godly love in a way that I could not love her if God were not first place in my life. And sometimes there are things that take first place of our lives and, and or take place uh, that the Lord is sitting on in our lives. And anything you love more, fear more, serve more, desire more than Almighty God for you is an idol. Let me say that again. Anything you love more, fear more, serve more, desire more than Almighty God for you is an idol. And now God has given to Abraham this son of promise, Isaac. And it could be, or could it be, that Abraham had taken his devotion and placed it upon Isaac. Now the Bible doesn't really tell us. I'm surmising that this is what's going on. But it could be for another reason. But it could it be that that's why God is testing Abraham here? God says, take your son, your beloved son, and offer him up. So I want you to search your heart and ask yourself, is there anything that you love more than Jesus today? Is there anything that you love more than Jesus today? After his resurrection, the Lord Jesus appeared on the shores of Galilee to Simon Peter. And Simon Peter was there, and Simon Peter had cursed and swore and denied the Lord Jesus Christ prior to Calvary. And now in the post-resurrection appearance of the Lord Jesus, he says to Simon Peter, Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? Now that's a question. Do you love me more than these? Now that can be put two ways. The first way is this, Simon do you love me more than James and John? Do you love me more than Matthew? So he could be asking the question that way. And, and maybe he was. Or maybe he was saying to Simon Peter, Simon, do you love me more than these boats? Do you love me more than these nets? Do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than that old life that you have gone back to because you thought you failed? Do you love me more than these things? And I think that's what the Lord wants to know of me this morning. I think he's saying, Keith, I've blessed you with life-changed church. If I've blessed you with friends, and if I've blessed you with a family, and if I've blessed you with health, and if I've blessed you with a ministry, Keith, do you love me more than these? Now he's asking you that same question here this morning. Is there anything, anybody that has taken first place in your life? If so, get thee up to Moriah and sacrifice it. So we see that Abraham's faith was measured by the depths of its devotion. If there is no greater love in your life than your love for Jesus Christ, rejoice and praise God for it. And say, my faith has passed that test. Because Abraham did now, I'll tell you another way that Abraham's faith was, uh, faith was tested. Not only by its depth, but by its height. It was measured not only by the depths of its devotion, but by the height of its sacrifice. 
Now, Abraham and Isaac went up Mount Moriah. Now, I'm going to tell you, this mountain is not a particularly high mountain. Uh, it only it stands about 2,700 feet above sea level. But now, spiritually, no man has ever climbed higher than Abraham and Isaac climbed that day in uh, Genesis chapter 22. Abraham went up that mountain to make a sacrifice to our Lord. Abraham loved God, and Abraham loved Isaac. And sacrifice will go to any height if there is love there. Sacrifice will go to any height if there is love there. Hebrews eleven seventeen says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only, what? Begotten, or the son he loved, right? So Paul tells us that Abraham did this by faith. By faith he offered up Isaac. Now, it doesn't say that by faith he was willing to offer up Isaac. That's not what it says. It says by faith he offered up Isaac. That is, in his heart it was already done. He had already offered up Isaac. Don't get the idea that Abraham did not slay Isaac. Abraham offered Isaac. Now, literally, Isaac did not die. Literally, God stopped the knife before it plunged into the pulsating heart of Isaac. But in the heart and the mind of Abraham, the sacrifice was made. Because you see, when we love, love will go to any sacrifice. Isaac Watts wrote these words to the old hymn, Love so amazing, love so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Yes, that's an old time hymn. You got to know that one, right? So you think about what was in that sacrifice when Abraham offered up Isaac. What was he doing? Well, he was sacrificing his future because all of his hopes were in Isaac. God had told Abraham, in Isaac will your future be. You're going to be the father of many nations, but it's all wrapped up in Isaac. You're to be a great nation, and I will give you a great name. And now God tells Abraham, take your future, take your future and sacrifice it. He is sacrificing his future to God. Next, not only is he called to sacrifice his future, Abraham was called upon to sacrifice his family. Have you ever thought about what he would have uh, had to say to Sarah? Can you imagine him going to Sarah and she says, where's Isaac? Well, sweetheart, I sacrificed him. I put him to death. Now, can you imagine what that would have happened and done to his family? Abraham was willing to do that because he could not put his family first. Your faith will always give your children up to the Lord for anything God asks of your children. And by the way, that is one of the greatest sacrifices that faith can make. Giving up your children to God. Abraham sacrificed his future. He sacrificed his family. And he also sacrificed his fellowship. Nobody else could understand that day when Abraham and Isaac went up alone to that mountain. Why do you think he told those two men to stay back, uh, that accompanying them? Nobody could understand what he was getting ready to do. No one else would have understood what was in his heart. And the man who follows God, the woman who follows God, sometimes must do it absolutely alone. 
So we see that faith is measured by the depths of its devotion. Faith is measured by the height of its sacrifice. And then let me tell you that faith is measured by the length of its obedience. And that's the third way that you can measure faith. You see, we're not saved by faith and works. We are saved by faith that works. And the Bible tells us here that as soon as the command was given to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham immediately, the very next morning, rose up and went his way. Verse 3 says, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. I notice there's no hesitation, there's no consultation in Abraham's obedience at all. Just simply, God, you say it, and now I must obey. Without a doubt, obedience is the greatest proof of devotion and the means of sacrifice. So, do you have that kind of faith? I mean, do you have faith to lay the dearest thing you own at God's feet? Do you have faith to sacrifice at any cost when God speaks to you? Do you have faith to obey God immediately and instantaneously? Or do you say, God, I hear what you say, but I'm going to pray about that a little bit more. And then, I, God, I, I still hear what you're saying, but I'm going to pray about this a little bit more. I, I just want to be sure. Is your obedience instantly and immediately? Now, what kind of obedience am I talking about when I'm talking about the length of its obedience? First, it must be obedience. I'm, I'm talking about immediate obedience. Did you know that pro, uh, procrastination is a form of sin? It most certainly is when God speaks to you. You know, I had a preacher tell the story of going back to the very first church he had ever preached at as part of a homecoming celebration. And he had pastored at that church when he was 19 years old. 19-year-old boy, it was his first church he had ever preached at. And he was pastor of that church. Now, it was a church running about 75 in Sunday school. Kind of sounds familiar to us, doesn't it? I, I might, we might make up 75 if I had all three classes together. It'd be pretty close. A church out near the edge of the Everglades. And he said in, in that town, they had a revival meeting when he was just a college student as, uh, and, and going to this church, so as a pastor. And so there were about 500 people in that town. And God laid it upon his heart to visit every home in that little town. Every home in that town. And invite those people to the, uh, to the revival. Now he said, you won't believe this, but the way we went visiting was on horseback. Now this is because it was kind of rough country. They still had cars. I mean, this, this was uh, not quite modern time, but it was, uh, they still had cars. They weren't Model Ts. Uh, but anyway, the, the reason they, uh, they rode horseback was because of how hard it was to get around. And horses just could get around into these areas more often. And so he said, we saddled up a couple of horses, the evangelist and myself, got a couple of cowboy hats, put on some cowboy boots, and rode up to the doors of those houses and kicked on the door, still sitting on a horse, but kicked on the door uh, to the house. And when the people came out, while they were still sitting there on that horse, they would say, howdy, man, howdy, sir. We're having a revival meeting and want to invite you to come to that revival meeting. Now, he said that God blessed 
because when we, by automobile, by foot, or by horseback, we visited every home to his remembrance, they did that except one home. One home. And he said, I remember passing that home and thinking it was the end of the day. He said, boy, I really am tired. And we've worked so hard. I'm not going to visit that particular home today. Maybe I'll visit it later, but I just can't do it today. And he went on to say that he never did get back to visit that home. He got busy and just did not get back to visit that house. Yet later, as he was driving down the little road that went past that house, and that house was back in an orange grove, way back in there, he saw a woman come out of that driveway uh, spinning in a car. I mean, just going as fast as she could. And she had, it seemed like, both hands up in the air. And he said he didn't know how she was even steering the automobile. It was just going down the road, and it was just, it was just clicking along, right? And she was screaming at the top of her voice. He wheeled his car around and came alongside of her, and he said, Ma'am, tell me what it is that's wrong. She said, Oh, it's terrible. It's horrible. He's killed himself. He's killed himself. He's killed himself. And he said, Well, let me go see. And he went up into that orange grove there and found that body. So the man had taken a rifle and propped it up in a tree and put it to his temple, and he pulled the trigger. And it wasn't a beautiful sight to see, as you can imagine. He said that he had never been able to forget it because he wondered in his heart and his mind, why didn't I go to that house? That was the one house that I didn't go to. I said that I was going to visit every house. I was going to visit every house, and that's the one house I didn't visit. And he said, I, I don't know if I could have led that man to Jesus Christ or not. I don't know. But in my mind right now, I can see that man. I can see that corpse. I can see that body that was stiff and stark with a bullet hole there in his temple. And I asked myself, why didn't I visit that house? Now, the lesson of the story is that when God tells you to do something, you need to do it. And you need to do it immediately. Real obedience is instantaneous obedience. Procrastination is a form of sin. It is a form of disobedience. So we must, we must obey God, and it must be instant obedience. Now, next, it must be intelligent obedience. You don't just run around and knock things over. Abraham heard God speak. So let me ask you, do you hear God speak? You can't obey him instantly if you have not heard God speak to you, and you will not hear him speak unless you're listening. Now I want to be real clear here for everybody. I've never heard God speak audibly to me like God did with Abraham. Right? Okay? But I can tell you that God speaks to me through His Word and through the leading of the Holy Spirit. I hear Him as I prepare my lessons each week. I hear the message that He wants me to give. I hear Him as I do the things that He commands me to do. So my question is, do you, during your prayer time, stop telling God what you want God to do long enough to allow God to tell Him what He wants you to do? You cannot obey Him 
if you do not hear him. God came to Abraham, and God could talk to Abraham face to face as a man speaks to his own friend. Abraham was a friend of God. He had the heart and the mind of God. So many times we may call ourselves serving God, but we're not really obeying God. We're doing what we want to do, and God doesn't appreciate what he doesn't initiate. God does not appreciate what he does not initiate. What we need to do is to get in a place where we can hear God so we can obey God. It has to be instantaneous obedience. It has to be intelligent obedience. And it also has to be intentional obedience. See, don't get the idea that just because God hasn't told you anything, you're excused. The fact is that you may not have even reported for duty. Oh, my. You may not have even reported for duty. You may not have listened to Almighty God. You have to be intentional in your obedience to God. And it must also be impassioned obedience. There ought to be a zeal to obey God. The cause of this church and all churches is hurt more by Sunday morning bench warmers who think they do God a favor by coming to church than all of the infidels put together. We need a burning, passionate, blazing, emotional love for the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that faith is measured by the depths of its devotion. Is there anything that you love more than God, more than the Lord Jesus? If there is, then you don't have faith like Abraham had. We also see that faith is measured by the height of its sacrifice. Is there anything that you would withhold from God if he asked you for it? If there is, then you don't have a faith like Abraham had. And we see also that faith is measured by the length of its obedience. So is your faith immediate, intelligent, intentional, and impassioned obedience? If not, then you don't have a faith like Abraham had. Now, if I'm honest, I'm going to have to tell you that as I studied this and thought through it all, I was challenged in my own life. And I want to tell you that, that I don't think I measured up. And I, but also, I know I want to grow. How about you? You think you measure up? Can you look God in the eye and say, yes, Lord, I measure up to your standard? Well, now, if you're saying, yes, Lord, I measure up, then I want to tell you that faith has tested one other way. I'm not quite done yet. <laughs> not only by its depth, by its height, and by its length, but it is tested by its wideness, the broadness of its confidence. So why was Abraham willing to do this? What went through the mind of Abraham? God says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And this son is going to be a miracle son. This son is going to come out of your dead body. That is, your reproductive organs are dead. Your wife is past the age of bearing children. You are sterile, and she is sterile, and yet you're going to have a child. God made this promise to Abraham. Abraham believed God, and God says to Abraham, now I'm going to take this child, and I'm going to make him a blessing to all of the world. And now then God says, take him and sacrifice him. How could Abraham put both of those two things together? Let me tell you what went through his mind. We don't have to guess about it at all. 
You can find it there also in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. And we're talking here about the testing of his faith, and I want you to listen to me. Verse 17, chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. In a figure. Now notice that it says, by faith, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. That is, in his heart and mind, Isaac was offered up for a sacrifice. It's past tense. He offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now, Isaac had not yet had uh, any descendants. Isaac hadn't had any ch uh, children yet. And God said, in Isaac, all of your children are going to be called. And he's going to be a progenitor of your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, and your great-great-great-grandchildren. And now God says, put him to death. Well, how was Abraham able to do what God told him to do? That's right. That's right. The answer is in verse 19. Accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Now, do you see that word figure there? It has the same meaning as the word type. The word figure and type mean the same thing. It's a portrait or a picture of something to come. Right? It means that figuratively, Abraham had already sacrificed Isaac. And when God did not allow the ultimate sacrifice in a figure, he received this man back from the dead. It's a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What Abraham learned is that there is nothing too hard for God. Right? Remember that from our lesson? There is nothing too hard for God. Did God give Isaac back? Absolutely he did. Abraham did not know how he would do it. However, I believe this conversation with Isaac must have been uh, something like this. When Abraham was talking to Isaac, he said, Son, have a seat. I want you to look me in the face. Son, there's something that I need to tell you. Son, do you remember the covenant that I told you that God made with me when I met with him under that old oak tree? Do you remember that covenant, son? I've told you about it many times, son. And son, do you know that you are a miracle child? Son, did you know that you were born as a result of a miracle? You're a covenant child. Son, I want you to understand, therefore, that you really don't belong to me. You never really belong to me. Son, you belong to God. Now, son, three days ago, he asked me to give you to him. And son, I really have no recourse but to give you back to him because I'm in a covenant with God. Son, do you understand that? Well, now, Isaac seemed to have understand and cooperate. Isaac knew that he was a covenant child. He had been told from a child that he belonged to the Lord. And so Isaac stands there and allows his hands to be bound. And I, I said last week, I don't know exactly how old Isaac was, but he was no small child. They could put a big burden of wood on his back and he could climb a mountain. He wasn't a small child. He had to be big enough. He could have uh, wrestled with Abraham. He could have outrun Abraham. Uh, and, but he stood there and he willingly sacrificed. So he allows his hands to be bound. He's placed on that wood, and he's ready to be offered. 
And then God sends an angel to hold back that night and to say, Abraham, hold back. Don't kill the child. Verses 10 through 12. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, and seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. You see, Abraham had passed the test. In verse 13 it says, at verse 13 it says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horn. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. So this tells us that God provided a substitute for Isaac. And Isaac did not have to die. In the same way, God has provided a substitute for you in the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross in your place for your sins so that you would not have to die and so that instead you could have life everlasting. So what is this all about? God is testing Abraham's faith and Abraham passes the test. And so God tells him, Abraham, you've proven that you will not withhold anything from me. And now, Abraham, I will withhold nothing from you. Verses 14 through 18 says, And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, and it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of the heaven the second time, and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as a sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So now here's the bottom line. It really wasn't Isaac that God wanted. It was Abraham's supreme devotion that God wanted. And you've got to learn that. Here is the heart of the message. Are you ready for the bottom line here? Listen to me. If you love it, let it go. If it's yours, you'll get it back. But if not, you'll be saved from a fate worse than death. And that faith will be to hold on to something that is an impairment to your spiritual life. Jesus taught us the same thing in Mark 8, 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And Jesus told us to give it to God. Take up your cross, give everything to the Lord. Have you ever heard the saying, finders keepers, losers weepers? Yeah. But our Lord is saying, losers, finders, keepers, weepers. Give it to God. If you lay your Isaac on the altar and God doesn't want you to have him, then you're better off without it. If the gift is from God, anything that God has given you, you can trust Him with. Anything He has not given you, you don't need. And so after Abraham had passed the test, the test of devotion, the test of obedience, the test of sacrifice, and the test of confidence, God gave to Abraham an incredible blessing. His faith was tested, and it passed the test. He doesn't have to worry now about losing something that he's already given to God. 
And God revealed himself to Abraham that day as Jehovah Jireh, which literally means the God who will see to it, or the God who is a provider. It is the word that we get our English word providence from. God sees ahead. So how do we know this is true? Because there was a ram that started up the side of that mountain when Abraham and Isaac started up on the other side of that mountain. You got the ram going up one way, and you got Isaac and Abraham going up the other side. The ram did not get there ahead of time. The ram was there just in time. No earlier and no later than he was needed. Abraham passed the test. And I just have to ask myself this question. Keith, would you pass that test if God were to say to you, Keith, you take that dearest thing on earth and you give it to me? You know, I hope I would. I want to. In my heart, I want to, and I believe that's what each and every one of us want to do if we love God. Faith is measured by the depths of its devotion, the height of its sacrifice, the length of its obedience, and the wideness of its confidence. Now let me ask you that the next time you pray to your Heavenly Father, you pray these words. Lord, increase my faith. And Lord, when the test comes, when you ask of me something, to go somewhere, to give something, to sacrifice something, Lord, help me to obey. May my obedience be quick, intentional, instantaneous, compassionate, and intelligent. You don't have to think up things to sacrifice. You don't have to make things up. You just have to say, Lord, all that I am, all that I have, belong to you. Amen? Amen. Amen.